Hello everyone and welcome to A Cast of Kings, an unofficial podcast about the HBO original series Game of Thrones. I'm David Chen and I've never read any of the books in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. I'm Joanna Robinson and I've read every book in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. And welcome to today's show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, if you're just tuning in for the first time, what we do on this podcast is we spoil everything through this week's episode of Game of Thrones, but nothing from future week's episodes, and that includes anything from future books or on the next time on preview. Uh, this week we'll be spoiling everything through uh, Season 4, Episode 9, and that is, I believe, The Watchers on the Wall. The Watchers on the Wall, Season 4, Episode 9. Uh, you can find more of our episodes at uh, GameOfThronesPodcast.com. You can also email us at acastofkings at gmail.com. That's acastofkings at gmail.com. Acastofkings, also where you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. So, uh, John Robinson, there's this episode of Seinfeld <laughs> where George Costanza uh, like stops having sex for a while. And right. it discovers that his mental capacities are dramatically improved. He becomes like a genius because he's able to devote his entire brain to other pursuits other than sex. It's kind of like a parody of the John Travolta film Phenomenon, if you're familiar with that movie. I am. Um, what I'm trying to say is, Jonah Robinson, I haven't had sex in five years. No, I'm not. I'm joking. What I'm trying to say is because I don't have book knowledge, I was able to predict... With 100% accuracy. Oh, we're leading with this? <laughs> <laughs> You're starting with this? Okay. All right. I was able to predict with 100% accuracy what happened to uh, that kid that uh, killed Egret on this week's episode. So just going just gonna to throw that out there. The record, it's only going to make me sound insufferable. But I'm going to say that as soon as you said it, I knew you were right, but I couldn't say anything. I know that sounds like I'm trying to steal some of your glory, and I'm not. You, but I just You're totally say, stealing my glory. I'm not. I'm just like you said it. I was like, shit, he's right. And when it comes true, he's going to be the worst. Uh, you're only a little bit the worst. So, All so. right. Well, there, there you go. Now, that being said, so uh, I did get a lot of tweets from people who normally hate me uh, <laughs> saying, all right, Dave Chen, you were right. You called that one. Good job. Uh, I, I, could, I could feel the grudgingness behind the 140 characters of people <laughs> saying I was correct in predicting how Egret would die. Uh, but... I appreciate I appreciate that people were willing to doff their metaphorical caps to me, and uh, and know that I will not abuse the privilege too much after I finish the sentence. Now that being said, uh, that being said, despite my amazingly vindicating prognostications, uh, I did get a ton of stuff wrong on last week's episode of A Cast of Kings. Uh, I made numerous errors, uh, and. It was probably my worst episode yet in terms of making straight-up errors versus just opinions people uh, don't agree with. This email comes in from Ollie from London. Ollie writes in, I wonder if you should read or reread King Lear before doing these podcasts. I, too, noticed the similarity between Tyrion's beetle-smashing story and a line in one of Shakespeare's plays. As flies to wanton boys are we to the gods, they kill us for their sport. But not sure why you mistook this as a line from The Tempest when it's such a famous line from King Lear. Similarly, along with the debt to Beckett in the scene with Barry McGovern, I could have sworn Arya was half-quoting Edgar. The worst is not, so long as we can say this is the worst. Again, from King Lear. Uh, this from a character who, once transforming himself into the Mad Beggar, poor Tom proclaims, 
I nothing am. King Lear is not only a benchmark in Western nihilism, but it is full of such bleak, cruel, and punishing material that I'd find it hard to imagine that George R. R. Martin and the writers of the TV show did not keep it on their bedside tables. Samuel Johnson famously couldn't bear the fact that Cordelia is hanged at the end, and in productions throughout the 18th and 19th centuries, they gave the play a happy ending because it was such a cruel dick move on Shakespeare's behalf. Uh, King Lear was the original Game of Thrones, full of discord and bad weather across bleak Anglican landscapes, graphic violence, and the ultimate trolling of an audience not expecting to see a beloved character mercilessly killed. Uh, so thank you to the dozens of people who wrote in correcting that that was not uh, The Tempest. I thought it was Caliban from The Tempest, but I was wrong. It's actually from Act 4 of King Lear. Uh, and I was actually very encouraged, John Robinson, by uh, how uh, how many people... Uh, were able to identify that that passage. Uh, perhaps I put it in there as a test. No, I didn't. <laughs> I, just, I was just playing out wrong, straight up wrong. Uh, I also identified the writer of season three, episode eight. I'm sorry, season four, episode eight, as Brian Cogman. Brian Cogman is in fact a genius, but that was not his episode. I believe that episode was written by Benioff and Weiss, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yes. 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 Uh, so sorry about that, Cogman. I gave you way too much credit. And finally, we got a bunch of emails last week uh, talking about my opinion on Rhys Bolton and basically strenuously disagreeing. According to Luke N. writes in, David said that Rhys Bolton's legitimization of Ramsey was inconsistent characterization since he had chastised him earlier in the season. If you rewatch that scene, you will find that Rhys promised to legitimize him if he took Mo Kalin, and that he was actually impressed with what he had done with Theon once it was clear that he had tamed him. In fact, that was the reason he gave his son the mission of taking the moat. So when Ramsay did what he was told to, Rhys fulfilled his promise. It was not only consistent characterization, but also the whole point of the Bolton plotline this season. And Rhys is not against flaying. If you remember early in season two, Rhys tried to convince Rob that flaying captured Lannister officials would be useful, Roos may be a more practical man than his sadist son, but he's not against flaying captured enemies, so I don't see how he would be particularly miffed about what Ramsay did with a handful of ironborn nobodies. The reason he had been angry with Ramsay is because he had tortured someone that mattered, and, as I said earlier, he changed his opinion about it, about it before the scene was over. Uh, so, just wanted to clear that up, a big fan of your show. That's from Luke, end quote, for the email. So, uh, yeah, a lot of people seem to say that, you know, I had said that Roose Bolton was inconsistent, that he seemed more practical and more measured, and then that why would he reward Ramsey if Ramsey was going around flaying everyone? Uh, and I guess I have to say that I am mostly convinced of what everyone has to say about this topic. Jonah Robinson, you read all these emails too. Uh, what do you think of the Roose Bolton characterization uh, after our discussion last week and after all these emails. I think the emails were largely correct. The only like dissenting opinion that I saw in the conversation, I think it was in the comments at slashfilm.com, was someone was saying, yes, it's true that maybe Roos has, you know, yeah, the flayed man is his banner, is his sigil and all that sort of stuff. But he is the warden of the North now. He's sort of like, like a small-time mobster who's been le- legitimized and needs to like – um, I don't know, you, you know, like yeah. play with play with the big boys and and have at least a semblance of honor right. uh, now that he has this more elevated position. So Which that's something to consider, but I'm not sure it necessarily contradicts what everyone else is saying. Yes, yes, I don't think it necessarily contradicts them either, Joanna. So uh, anyway, that that's all my corrections. You have a few corrections to make as well, Joanna Robinson. 
Well, a lot of people uh, – oh, yeah, yeah, I have two things actually. I was wrong about things too. Number one, the the, the gate, uh, the night at the gate at the Erie is not the same night who was in Sansa's trial. I rewatched totally different nights. This I, is I always bad. thought that was madness to begin with. But, but I, I still think it's <laughs> – like if in the next episode we just see the Hound and Arya elsewhere, I still think it's crazy that right. even the night at the gate wouldn't be like you claim to be Arya Stark – Let's take you in front of the people who are in here, like your cousin, you know, Robin is in there, like, to just at least check, you know, yeah, maybe she's not Arya, but they should at least try and check before just turning her away, right? Right. Like, it seems weird. It still seems weird to me, even if it's a different night, that there's no follow-up conversation to that. Okay. And then the second thing is people were upset that we didn't mention that the... Uh, Bolton host at the um, end of their plot line was riding towards Winterfell. And that's because I didn't, I wasn't sure it was Winterfell. Like, you know, Ramsay says we have a new home. Like, yeah, it's. Well, Ramsay said, I need a bath, I think, or something like that. Yeah, those well, lines. he said, he, he, we, we need, I need a bath. And Theon said, Are we going home? And Ramsay says, We have a new home. And there's ominous pan to a ridge that I guess I was supposed to recognize as, as where Winterfell sits. And like someone in the comments is like, That oh so familiar ridge. And I'm like, I'm not sure <laughs> I'm really familiar with the ridge that Winterfell sits on. But everyone seems to think it's Winterfell. So I am fully on board, at, you know, and that sounds interesting to me that the Boltons are going to be hanging out at Winterfell. So I like how you talk about it. Like, you don't know what's going to happen. But that's the, well done, Joanna Robinson. Bravo. <laughs> Isn't that my j- entire job? On that note, uh, I, there's actually on the note of ge- geography and locations, Gabriel M actually wrote in a really cool thought. He writes in quote, Regarding the locations we see during the opening credits and the assumption that we would see the cities in the intro that are in the actual episode, it has never necessarily been that way. They need as many cities for the intro as necessary to support the duration of the theme music. In Blackwater, for instance, we get many of the regular cities like Pike and Winterfell. I'm sorry, in the episode Blackwater, episode uh, season two, episode nine, we get many of the regular cities like Pike and Winterfell in the intro, but the whole episode is confined to King's Landing, plus a little bit of the ocean be- between Dragonstone and the continental Westeros. Uh, I'm assuming that season four, episode nine, will show something similar as the whole episode may take place exclusively at the wall. I think the only rule regarding cities in the intro is that if there's a major city featured for the first time in the episode, it will be in the intro, as we saw with Bravos early in the season and Mo Kalen in the latest episode. So Gabriel points out a really obvious and true fact that uh, the intro has never been what I thought it was, has never been the idealized version I thought it was. It's always shown a bunch of random cities uh, and... I do think Gabriel's rule is correct that if you see it in the intro for the first time, it will be in the episode. Uh, but aside from that, anything basically goes. Does that? Would not have been great uh, if that's that had what happened. That had been what happened at Blackwater, where it's just like focused on King's Landing for the entire opening credits, just like like not moving. And then again this week at the Wall, it's like we're gonna be at the Wall the whole time. You know like that? No. I like how you gave uh, the theme song some lyrics. Cool. Uh, I they were really clever too. So yeah, I hope definitely. everyone appreciated that. So it took a lot of thought. Um, uh-huh. The uh, Alan Seppelwald did actually in his review. I think he said something along the lines of, "I wish there was a way to do the opening credits so that they were just at one location exploring like different aspects of that location." But I think we all know that would destroy everything we love about the opening credits. So. <laughs> uh, all right. Anyway, what else? We have a few announcements now that we're done with all the corrections. A few announcements tonight. Uh, Firstly, Joanna, you want to take this t-shirt contest? 
Yeah, we have started up a t-shirt contest just on a whim. Um, <laughs> just because we don't have enough to do. And um, you can find out more details uh, over on our Facebook page, The Cast of Kings. Um, what is that? Facebook.com slash The Cast of Kings? That is correct. All right. Uh, so all the rules are laid out there as well as the timeline. But basically what we're doing is we're soliciting t-shirt slogan ideas from people. Dave and I are going to narrow it down to five. We're going to have you guys vote on what you want to see. And then we are going to make these shirts for you guys to purchase. Um, and we've gotten a lot of great suggestions so far. The deadline for slogans, once again, all these rules are over at Facebook.com slash A Cast of Kings. But the deadline for the slogans, which is the first leg of this whole conversation, contest uh, is this coming Friday at 11.59 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. I looked it up, Dave. Um, so, <laughs> But John Robinson, what if I hate Facebook? How do I submit my possible slogan anyway? What a great question. I'm so glad you said that. Uh, you can email us. Uh, in fact, that's the only way you can submit a slogan. You need to email us at acastofkings at gmail.com with the word slogan in the title of the email. If you don't put the word slogan in, I'm not, I can't guarantee you that your submission will be read. I can't even say the word anymore. But anyway, uh, email <laughs> us at acastofkings at gmail.com. No rules on the slogan either, uh, but if you put spoilers, you know that Dave's not going to see it and we're not going to pick it. Uh, it can be podcast related. It can be Game of Thrones related. It can be whatever you you want we've got some um sweet art that's probably going to go with it so just um have fun with it and yeah. even if you don't want to submit a slogan you can still vote on it and we'll have more details on that um in our next episode so cool uh so again check it out on facebook or submit your slogan uh to a cast of kings at gmail.com with subject line slogan and uh i'll look forward to seeing what you guys come up with uh, finally, we have a, a bunch of questions about where can people find old episodes of the show. Uh, the iTunes apparently only lists like the last 18 episodes. Uh, unfortunately, at this point, there's no way to get them in iTunes, but you can go to GameOfThronesPodcast.com, uh, and you should be able to access them all there, right? You can download them manually yeah. that way. So yeah. a lot of people have asked uh, about where can you find the old episodes, GameOfThronesPodcast.com. Uh, just keep going back until you find the old episodes. That's where you can download them. Uh, we we have only done episodes starting with season two. So yeah. people might think, where are all the older season one episodes? Don't keep looking for them because they do not exist. <laughs> they don't. They yeah. don't. So they may exist one day, but they do not exist yet. So uh, If we get yeah. desperate enough, if we run out of things to talk about. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As of yes. right now. Uh, If we're living on the streets (laughs) and we need to podcast to survive, then the uh, season one may come back. But uh, (laughs) until then, we will – you just have to deal with season two and onward. And and by the way, (laughs) I should point out that season two is my least favorite season of Game of Thrones. So if I sound even more negative than usual on those older episodes, that's why. So anyway, (laughs) let's begin (laughs) – Let's begin, John Robinson. Now, typically what we do on the show is we go like scene by scene. We go, you know, here, we're King's Landing and what happens at King's Landing and so on. And we go to every single location. But this episode, season four, episode nine, takes place entirely at the wall. So rather than go scene by scene, uh, we should just go kind of like beat by beat. I don't know what you think is the best way because I don't think we want to do every beat. Uh, yeah, you guys just... aren't looking at the document that we're looking at, but... <laughs> it is massive. <laughs> There's a lot of beats to go through. There's a lot of beats. So maybe we should just take our favorite ones. Or actually, 
You know what I think would be a good way to discuss this, John Robinson? This is a very polarizing episode for some reason. It it, it's not an episode I expect to be polarizing uh, because I love this episode. But maybe we should just talk about our overall thoughts on the episode and, uh, and then dive into specific scenes. And we don't need to go through chronological order necessarily. How about that? Okay. You cool Sounds with good. that? All right. Mm-hmm. So what did you think of season four, episode nine? So I didn't love season four, episode nine. <laughs> Um, and I think I have a lot of guesses as to why that is. Um, one of which is that as, as a book reader, this is true of every episode and, and someone pointed this out in email, but I had already been thinking about it. The stakes are not the same for me. Like I know what's going to happen at the end of this battle, which is that the wall will be standing and you don't. So the stakes are different in that regard in terms of straight plot. Um, so for me, oftentimes what really anchors me in the show are the character moments. And that's why I said that things like the scene in Oberyn's, uh, in, in Tyrion's cell between Tyrion and Oberyn or all of those stuff, that's really character driven, dialogue driven content. And that's what I really like. And I think the character driving stuff of this episode didn't really land for me as well as I would have wanted it to. Uh, I've never cared about these characters as much as I care about the characters at King's Landing in the episode that is in direct correlation, which is Blackwater. And Blackwater also features, like, you know, it's a whole bunch of different plots converging onto one. And this is taking two battles, two chapter battles that are in the book and combining them into one. And cynically, I think it's just because they wanted to do another Blackwater. So they'll like, we'll wait until episode nine. We'll do this great battle. We'll do all these visuals. And that's just not the priority for me for the show. Woolly mammoths and giants and stuff like that. And, you know, the biggest fire that the North has ever seen. That stuff is not my priority uh, in terms of what I look for. So for me, they really needed to land like Egret dying. Um, and that's not to say I'm not a cold monster. There are things that did land for me like... Gren and his man uh, and his men like making that last stand in the tunnel. I thought that was good, um, but for the most part, it didn't. It didn't really do what I wanted it to do. I guess my only question is: Are you a robot, John Robinson? <laughs> do you not have blood coursing through your veins? No, uh, no I'm, I'm being oil. facetious. I'm being <laughs> facetious, but I uh, I really love this episode. Yeah, I was a huge fan, um, which is I think. The first time in podcast history that I can recall where I liked an episode more than you. Right. Um, and, that's true. Uh, and, yeah, I th- th- first of all, I, I thought the episode was technically dazzling. I thought it gave John an opportunity to really come into his own as a leader. Uh, I thought the Gret death scene was uh, really effective on a variety of fronts. Uh, and it made me i don't know if i want to say it made me like sam or stop hating sam but it made me hate sam less so Progress. all those <laughs> all those things are just huge achievements yeah. in my opinion okay uh and yeah i i don't know i i and and i i i'm tempted to say that like people who like this episode and people who don't like this episode split cleanly uh, across like book reader and non book reader lines, but I know that's not true because yeah, I know, it's not clean. Yeah, because I, I know like a lot of non book readers also hated this episode. Yeah, I don't know of many book readers that like the episode, but I know a lot of non book readers did hate the episode. Um, and so, so that's worth observing. Is just like it's not clean, but I think if you were a book reader, it's very hard for you to like this episode because 
there was no tension for you at all in what's going on. And the character moments apparently weren't enough to, to bridge that gap. Maybe. So. I mean, the the main objection that I raised is I've been pretty defensive of the way in which they've shuffled plots around. So I feel comfortable criticizing the show. You know, like that's what we do here. Like we're largely positive and then when we see something that we don't think works, we talk about it. Like that's how we keep ourselves honest, right? So um, I will say that stretching this out, I mean, basically the way, you know, the way it works in the books, right, is John rides away from the wildlings like he did at the end of the last season. And then like directly after that, the wildlings attack. So there isn't eight episodes between when John and Egret saw each other. It should be right away. And so um, – then the tension is so much more dramatic rather than eight episodes of them being separated. Um, See, I, I did not think that that was negatively affecting the tension at all. I mean, I, I didn't find that, oh, they're stretching this regret relationship out forever. Um, I thought it was, I thought the show was just taking its appropriate amount of time for that plot line to play out. That was my perception. I mean, I don't think I said, I, I don't think I've ever said on this podcast, man, when are they going to, Bring this Egret John thing to its conclusion. You didn't uh, like it in season two, that's for sure. Correct, correct. But um, well, because there was so much that was kind of like wildly implausible about the whole setup, from my perspective. I do, I do, I really feel like I'm the Dave Chen in this episode. <laughs> if you want to talk about wildly implausible, let's talk about John cradling Egret while a battle rages around him, and he doesn't get his head sliced off. Well, General, or, or the fact that he just got his face cracked into an anvil and then he presses it tenderly up against her face his face is broken and he pressed it up against hers wow i know and i you know i you know i usually don't nitpick but i was just like because i was frustrated with this episode i i have some nits to pick all right all right uh well we i think we have drawn the battle lines as it were and uh let's begin so uh, let's talk about some of these story beats. Let's talk about like pre the battle, right? right. Uh, so there's all this sort of anticipation uh, of like the attack that's about to come, and you see the Egret's wildling group is going to attack from the south of the wall, right? Uh, and then Mance's other wildlings are going to attack from the north of the wall, uh, and so John and Sam have this talk. <laughs> there was this really bizarre. Uh, staging decision going on with like the wildlings chilling out and then uh, what's her name? Uh, Sam's girlfriend. Gilly. Gilly, right? Like kind of like walking along the edge of the hill. (laughs) It just looks so silly. I thought like there's no way. Why would you ever walk along that hill if you were her? Do you know, Do you know why? I'm going to try not to be. This is this is like a flashback to the, that, our, our Man of Steel podcast. So please pull me back if I get too snarky. But do you know why I think they had that scene with Gilly at the, like the front door of Castle Black? Uh, the, the the front door scene or the scene I'm talking about? Oh, the front door scene that follows the scene you're talking. No, about. I don't know why. I think it's so that we could really learn Pip's name before he died, because <laughs> Sam says Pip's name like four times in a row, and I'm not convinced that. Eighty-five percent of the audience knew Pip's name uh, before this episode. Mm, okay, I don't know if I buy that. I, I guess for me, I didn't remember Pip's name, but I've seen that character. I remember like his speech about why it is he got assigned to the wall in the first place and all that. So it's still effective for me. 
Okay. Uh, even without remembering what his name was. I mean, a lot of those Night's Watch people, I didn't really devote the brain space to remembering their names because why would I have to? I, that's why I'm saying then, the, then how does a battle hold any weight when the only two Night's Watchmen – I mean, I can name you five Night's Watchmen other than the commanders, right? And But that's three more than most people can. And for most people, it's Jon Snow and Sam, right? And if they come out alive, then what is the emotional cost of this battle? If Jon Snow and Samuel Tarly, who are the two Night's Watchmen that show watchers really know, make it through unscathed, then what are the emotional stakes of this battle? Egret dies, but I mean, she's Ygritte been dies, not... T- Tormund dies? Tormund doesn't die. Oh, that's right. That's right. He gets really badly jacked up. <laughs> well, I love... He was like... <laughs> I love Tormund because he's like a... Um, like on steroids or something like that. He's like, there's five arrows in me. You can't take me down. I am going to go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, you're right. Ygritte dies. And that's about it. Uh, Alistair is presumably still alive. I think he uh, like, broke his leg and then they dragged him away from the battle. Yeah. We don't see whatever happens to Slint, which I was actually quite disappointed by. Uh, he's down with Gilly. And no, then- no, I know. I know. We see oh. him like revealed. Oh, okay. But we don't see like the consequences of his cowardice. Right, of him hiding, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that was actually a disappointment for me. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, okay, but think about, think about Blackwater, right? And what were the net effects of that one? You know, like what were the net effects? Uh, uh, the episode ended and you thought Tyrion was dead. That's true. <laughs> that's true. That's one effect. Uh, and Tywin shows up out of nowhere. Tywin shows up out of nowhere. You find out and that Davos's are... son and like all of Stannis' men blow up hugely in the bay. Correct. And Correct. you think Davos might be dead. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So a few more things happen, and I think like what a lot of people making the comparison because both episodes are directed by Neil Marshall. They're both huge battle scenes. Making the comparison, people have said that uh, the character moments in Blackwater are a lot better, like right. uh, Tyrion taking control and Podrick right. saving Tyrion's life. Right. Uh, and Stannis, like, having to deal with failure or whatever. And Davos seeing his son die. Like, the, all those and things. The, and some of the Sansa Cersei stuff I thought was really a really good R- counterbalance, too. Right, right. Okay. So, you're not wrong that those things are awesome. <laughs> but, I don't know. I felt like the the uh, increase in uh, spectacle and in action and in just how well it was shot kind of made up for any small shortcomings in in this episode. And, and I mean, what does happen in this episode, right? Sam kind of comes into his own as, like, an uh, actual human being, I thought. Jon Snow gets a chance to take leadership. Egret uh, dies. Uh, the, the wildlings' chickens come home to roost when that kid, slaw- like, shoots an arrow through her. Uh, there's still some decent stuff going on. I here. liked, I did like Sam's arc, but I feel like it almost took place before the battle because before the battle, he's talking to Pip and Pip's like, how did you slay that other? And he's like, well, you know, when you're afraid and you're nothing, you don't, I didn't even know my name. You're nothing. And he was like, are you nothing now? He's like, no, I'm not nothing now. Right. I wasn't Samuel Tarly anymore. I wasn't a steward in the Night's Watch or son of Randall Tarly or any of that. There's nothing at all. When you're nothing at all, there's no more reason to be afraid. But you're afraid now. Yes. 
I'm not nothing anymore. And, you know, he, like, had that great scene with Gilly and with Master Eamon. I really liked that part. You know, I like the talking stuff, apparently. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that, that scene with Master Eamon, I really liked. Master Eamon, sorry. And then, um, really, oh, this is, I mean, really, this is, like, as nitpicky as I'm going to get. I promise you. Um, it's a really big moment in the books for John to be given command of the wall. This is a huge moment for him. Right. Um, and it happens like incidentally. And they say, John, you know, John Snow, you have the wall. He is the only character that wasn't said to in this episode. Yeah, that that was actually really disappointing. I was waiting. Yeah. I haven't read the books, like, and I was Jim, waiting for that to happen. Yeah, like, Alistair Thorne's like, Jim Slint, you have the wall. And then Slint, like, sleeks off, and then John says, Ed, you have the wall. But I was like, no one told Johnny had the yeah, wall. Yeah, I was, I was disappointed. Moment. I was yeah. disappointed in that. Um, yeah. That that did that did feel like a hugely missed opportunity. So. And just, I mean, just a, a strange opportunity. But um, I did like Gren's little like, gambit where he like just snuck around behind him and was like, oh, you're needed downstairs. Go <laughs> away, you're terrible. Yeah, and then Slint is like, oh, yeah, that sounds right. That sounds like a good enough reason as any to, yeah, to exactly. leave. Uh, I actually thought something bad was going to happen to Gilly because Slint was down there. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Like I thought that Slint might kill her or something like that yeah. because uh, rather than have his cowardice be discovered yeah you don't want to uh, be trapped in a room with Janice Lint ever and especially like I felt like the door opened and he was like "Ooh, it's a lady like I was like what is gonna happen yeah I don't I don't want to know well did you oh. did was that not clear from the books it's not in the books Gilly's not even there so. I see I see well and that was another thing by the way I thought the kid that killed Egret was not in the books as well but that's not true no he's not in the books oh okay so because uh, earlier in this podcast, you said that you knew I was right. Uh, well, I just meant, Ig- like, you said that, and I was like, yeah, Egret's going to die, and this makes complete narrative sense, what I Dave see. just stumbled to. I see, but you didn't know for a fact that that, that No, no, happens. I was yeah, just very okay. convinced you were right. I see, I was convinced you. of your rightitude. All right, let's make a note of the time and the date. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's the last time that's ever going to happen. your ringtone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, John finds Egret after the battle, and she's got an arrow in her. And she's oh, wow. Dead. And so you never know who shot her. And it makes sense for them to have a tender moment because the battle is over. <laughs> and so he can chill out with her for a little while because no one is trying to kill him. All right, let me say this. I can't believe I'm making this argument, General. So first of all, we're skipping way around, but whatever. I know. That's okay. Uh, let me just say this, General Robinson, which is that Maybe the fact that he is willing to take a few minutes out of the battle, even though hell is breaking loose around him, indicates how important that character was to him. I can't believe I just said that. It felt dirty just saying that. Did you? Did you? Okay. I feel bad. That was a terrible argument. I feel bad. Listeners, if you're getting really frustrated with me being, like, negative, I'm really sorry. Maybe turn off the episode. I don't know. Now you know know how I feel every single week. I don't know how to stop it, but... Kid Harrington's expression when he saw, okay, so they like stop and they see each other and that makes sense. They freeze. She's been like Legolasing this whole time and she's just going to stop and she doesn't know she can do it. And then he like smiled at her, but Kid Harrington didn't really sell that moment. It looked like a grimace. It was very, I mean, I know his face is broken, but uh, I didn't really understand. The <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like what was he trying to communicate in yeah. that moment? <laughs> hey girl. Like what was that? <laughs> I think you can sort of project a number of things onto what he might be saying. That's that's the brilliance of Kit oh. Harrington's performance, right? Of the cipher that is Kit Harrington. <laughs> you can you can project so much. Here's what I projected is 
Can't, here's what I, here's like the inner monologue that I gave to Jon Snow at that moment was, can't you see that we're in love? <laughs> I might have the blood of your uh, compatriot still on me as I just sunk a hammer into him, but don't you see that we belong together? <laughs> um, that was precisely, I did like that hammer. I, I, I mean, okay, firstly, uh, I know that's ridiculous, but don't you think that that would match that facial expression? Yeah, but like what I'm saying is I think a more nimble actor would have been able to sell that moment in a way that I understood more than what Ken Harrington was doing. Well, so. maybe you just got to use your imagination a little bit more. Like oh, okay, is that what so. acting is? That's right. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> That's exactly what acting is. Um. Oh, the uh, it was so cute. The, <laughs> that sounds so condescending. But like a lot of people, when, when John lit Craster's Keep... A lot of people are like, is this the biggest fire the North has ever seen? And I want to be like, oh, they're their pets. No, it's going to be much bigger than that. All right, so let's talk about that. Yeah. I mean, did you think that that was a decent-sized fire? Yes, for the biggest fire the North has ever seen, yes. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was pretty good. That being said, when I was watching it, I was thinking <laughs> to myself, I can imagine people being disappointed that this was the biggest <laughs> fire. And in fact, several people have written in saying that they were disappointed with how lame-ass the fire looked. Oh, no. but, um, I was but okay with the fire. I, I, yeah, I thought the fire, I thought the fire was good. What I'm, what I'm disappointed by is it's been, what, like 20, 30 episodes since we've seen uh, – no, no, no. It's been like 20 episodes since we've seen uh, – Mance Raider. Mance Raider? Yeah. And that, that guy was a badass, man. Was Kieran Hines like doing something else? I guess. <laughs> he must be really busy. <laughs> uh, or the show decided that it would be better if we didn't see him. Anyway. Look, we're fast-forwarding way ahead all over the place, John Robinson. I did have a question for you, which is that the uh, the Wildlings, like, they had uh, someone who was doing the warging. Yeah. Like, he's pretending he was being an owl. Yeah. And I guess what my confusion from that is, like, why weren't they using that more to their advantage? Like, I feel like that guy, warging, did not provide them any strategic advantage. All it did was spot the fire. <laughs> yeah, spot the fire, which they were going to be able to do anyway. You know what right. I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah. I agree. <laughs> Next week, maybe, gonna be, maybe Neil Marshall was like, that's going to be too confusing in the fight, which I could see how that might be confusing in the fight. Like, what, were they going to do owl point of view? They did do egret point of view, which I kind of liked. You had the camera, like, behind her bow as she's, like, sighting things. That's not, that's not really – Oh, I guess – I don't, I don't remember if there's any first-person stuff. Uh, actually, yeah, there was. Yeah, right? there was egret's there, point of view, and yeah, then there was – That was incredible. But, and Ghost's point of view. When right. Ghost came out, uh, you got, like, Ghost Cam. So I guess they could have done Owl Cam or they could have done, like, the Beastmaster effect where they have, like, the, the bird's eye. But I, I think Neil Marshall made the right call, if it was his call to make, to not include that. He said – I read an interview with him where he said, like, you know – they hired him to do this episode. He came in. The script is complete. But then they asked him, like, you know, hey, are there any – basically, I think he called them gags, though I could be wrong – like, visual things that he wanted to put in. So I'm guessing stuff like the hammer in the Fen's head. Like, that seems very Neil Marshall to me. Um, there was a particularly <laughs> gruesome, like, dagger through the eye that seemed very Neil Marshall to me. Um, and then that whole kitchen fight which I really liked, like the boiling water, the pan, and then the giant meat cleaver. Like that was the stewards having their, their say in defending the castle. Right. But I love how the steward was like, like one of the stewards was, um, or kitchen staff or whatever, like <laughs> kitchen he, staff. Had an, he had an apron on. Like he was interrupted while cooking and he's like, oh, I guess I got to kill some wildlings <laughs> and thens. Like wouldn't all, all hands on deck for this? I don't know. Oh, God. General Robinson, I mean, I sometimes know. if you're cooking – 
Night's Watchmen still need to eat. That's you know true. what I mean? Sure. They can't just fight on no energy. That's true. So. That's true. All right. Uh, so I, I still don't understand exactly what you're saying. Like, are you saying that in the book, warging was used actively in battle? Um, not in that battle. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, like, basically, John kills a warg. Like, he kills Orel in the show, but it's a different character. Anyway, he kills a warg. And then someone later, like, takes over that. It's co- it's complicated in the book, and I think that they've simplified it a little bit. But, um, yeah, that if I were that guy, I'd be warring all over the place. But wouldn't that be disorienting, like, in an actual fight? Like, you'd be right. dead. Would he have to have, like, a circle of people around him protecting him? <laughs> right, right. While he warred? I don't know. Yeah. I guess uh, my, my biggest confusion is, like, why, like, wouldn't you be able to see how defenseless the castle is? And wouldn't you communicate that to all the other people? Which I don't think well, ever I thought happened. Egret, I mean, Egret did that. She comes back and she's like, there's only a couple of them down there. Right. And then, like, made yeah. a fat joke about Sam. That's exactly so, that's like, what I'm saying, though. Is like, why why is Egret doing that and not the wargering person? Because the warger was looking for a fire. <laughs> right. Apparently so. Know. Apparently so. Uh, Alice Thorne and John have this still dialogue scene. Which uh, I liked. Yeah. And I think, like, what... Uh, that uh, okay what did you take to be the takeaway from that scene like what 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 is like the character moment we're supposed to interpret from that? that's the last of the oil sir Alison. a hundred thousand you say yes sir you can say it if you like we should have sealed the tunnel while we had the chance like you suggested it was a difficult decision either way sir Do you know what leadership means, Lord Snow? It means that the person in charge gets second-guessed by every clever little twat with a mouth. But if he starts second-guessing himself, that's the end. For him, for the clever little twats, for everyone. This is not the end. Not for us. Not if you lot do your duty for however long it takes to beat them back. And then you get to go on hating me... And I get to go on wishing you wildling whore had finished the job. Well, um, you know, Alistair does at least show that he's not a, that he's a human being and not a monster, right? Right. And he concedes that John was right. But then he also explains the difficulty, the burdens of leading. Right. Which, which is that I you can't second guess yourself. Like right. you must, sometimes you got to stick with a plan, even if a plan is dumb. Because right. if you don't stick with a plan, you'll die. Right. Uh, and... I don't necessarily agree with that. Like, I think you can <laughs> listen to the advice of someone and not, like, lose your ability to lead. Right. But, you know, I do think it was an interesting character moment. You know, I, I think it showed some sort of progress for Alistair Thorne. Yeah. What Alistair Thorne was saying is he's the decider. Right. As it were. Uh, anyway. So, what else happens before the attack? Sam hides Gilly uh, and the baby in what looks like a meat pantry. Um <laughs> And then they have him kisses se- Gilly. The, the, yeah, they, he kisses Gilly, which I'm like, yeah, Sam. Uh, and you know, Gilly says to him, "Please don't die." Uh, which the last time someone said that to another character, that character died. So I think we were all expecting Sam to die, uh, but he did not die. So yeah, I think that was another. That was a point that someone else brought up. Was it in an email to us? I think yeah that. When we book readers know the stakes, um, 
you know, obviously it's different for us. But with Oberyn, like that, that was a, you know, 10 minute at most duel less, really, like five, five to seven minutes. Whereas this is an hour of the show trying to get us to think that Sam is going to die and then him not dying. And we knew all along he wasn't going to die. I don't know. Okay. Well, for, as a show watcher, it was very tense. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, and so I'm just conceding that I have different stakes. And then that influences my opinion. And I'm not saying that it's true for everyone watching. And I'm saying it's a disadvantage as a book reader and is a detriment to maybe my enjoyment of this episode. It's almost like, say, it's almost like sometimes when like, you see a flash forward on something. Oh, God. It like, defeats the purpose in some ways. <laughs> Don't even. <laughs> You've already been right once this episode. It's not enough for you. Joanna Robinson and I have a long-standing debate about flash forwards as it pertains to Breaking Bad. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I thought it was really expertly done. Like, for a significant period of time, you think that these guys are doomed. Like, it is over for the Night's Watch. And uh, Sam, like, starts on that little wall with Pip and... Uh, and everyone around them is dying, and then Pip gets shot through the throat by Ygritte, and then, uh, you know, you, you, you think Sam is, like, done for it, then he kills a dude uh, yeah. and ends up living. And it, it is, I thought it was very tense. I didn't know what was going to happen. There was a lot of holy crap moments during this episode. So I was a, I was a big fan. Do we want to say anything about the conversation that Master Eamon and Sam have before the battle? What was your takeaway from it? Uh, I, I, so, Aemon Targaryen, what is his relation to Daenerys and Viserys? I mean, you know? he's an older relative of theirs. I see. Was he supposed to be king, right? That's what... Sort of. It's complicated. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, it, it's always... I mean, you generally like these scenes when they give this history, right, Jonah Robinson? So, I do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I thought that was kind of nice and you kind of get a sense... Like, I'm always interested in what happened to these people that led them to be on the wall, right? Like, right. all these people have such diverse stories. Some of them are... They did something stupid. Uh, some of them are like they couldn't, like it was not their choice. Some of them are they're criminals or they're rapists or whatever. Uh, some of them like John do it willingly, which is, it seems pretty rare to me. Uh, and so I'm always interested to see like what led to these people uh, being Night's Watchmen. So hearing a, a little bit of their backstory was great. Um, well, and I always love that connection of like there's a Targaryen yeah. on the wall, yeah. you know? Like it gives that's- you this. this uh, you know, it's like world building almost it's like, wow. Yeah. And it's like one link for Danny. Like <laughs> she does have a relative back. Oh, you know, he's not the only one, but yeah. Anyway. Uh, so we, we did have one uh, listener, Goran from Sweden complain about this scene. He said, uh, we got a few deep insights into the mind of Maester Eamon. Apparently boyhood sex memories is the most important thing to talk about when there are a hundred thousand wildlings getting ready to attack. End quote. Uh, and Goran writes it, skeptically but that actually sounds completely plausible to me i mean well i mean i liked some of the rest of goran's emails but i will say that um you know amen even addresses this he was like no better time to live in the past than when you know we all think we're gonna die whatever it is he he phrased it much better than that um so yeah i mean i've never been to war but I've seen enough war films, and I feel like that's what... <laughs> yeah, and you feel like you get a good sense of it from that's watching Saving Private Ryan. I, it's basically the same thing as going to war. No. I mean, if you've seen Enemy at the Gates, you're all set. Um, uh, we're being sarcastic, by the way, in case people can't tell. And, like, terrible human beings. But um, <laughs> but basically that, you know, 
I don't know. And I and it could it could be that that's not the case, but doesn't seem like you would think of the most innocent or enjoyable or whatever aspect of your life if you're facing death. That's yes. not just a unique to war anyway. Yeah. So. yeah. I, if I was about to die, then uh, to quote Goran's email, it would probably be boyhood sex memories that would come <laughs> back to me. So uh, but let's hope that never happens, or it doesn't happen for a while anyway. Uh, all right, so anything else before the battle that we want to mention? Um, no. Yeah, no. I think that that's about it. So uh, let's take a moment and say that Jonah Robinson, you know, this podcast was started because of an idea, an idea that people might want to listen to a really intelligent, articulate person talk about the Game of Thrones books and a rambling lunatic who's never read any of the books. <laughs> and the interaction between the two of them might be something interesting. And apparently tens of thousands of people uh, agree that that is at the very least interesting, like a train wreck might be interesting. Uh, so we're grateful for all of our listeners. Uh, and the thing is, uh, a podcast starts with an idea, and in order to make an idea live... What you really need is a URL, a domain name. Uh, and to that end, Hover is pretty much the best way to buy and manage domain names that there is. Uh, when you have a great idea, you want to secure a domain for it immediately. And you want something catchy and uh, memorable to represent your online identity. Uh, so Hover gives you exactly what you need to get the job done. Uh, you'll find the perfect domain for your idea so you can get working on it and move on to the next thing on your to-do list. Uh, how many domain names do you have, John Robinson? Any any uh, insight into that? I have two, I think. You have two two domain names. I have, I think, probably about 20 domain wow. names. Some mm-hmm. of which are, are managed by um, uh, Hover. And uh, and others are managed by other companies, which I uh, invested in before I knew about Hover. So now that I know about Hover, I always use them. And if you want to support a cast of kings and support Hover, which is one of the best places to register a domain name, you want to go to hover.com slash stoneheart. Hover.com slash stoneheart. John Robinson, I have no idea what the hell that is. I think uh, Joanna Robinson picked the the URL structure for this episode, and I think you miscalculated, right? I did, by one. Uh, apparently, we will know what that means at the end of next week's episode. Fortunately, it doesn't seem to be too spoilery, because uh, I have no that's idea. That's why I picked it. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> You'll remember uh, the last time I picked the word purple, because right. it was not spoilery, but it would have significance. Uh, I definitely thought we were doing this next week, so that's why I picked it. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. No worries. Uh if you've registered a domain name, you know it can be a pretty unpleasant experience, and they can make it complicated to search what you're looking for and try to upsell you. Hover's honest. They don't believe in heavy-handed upselling or charging you for something that shouldn't be there. If you ever need a hand, Hover has the best customer service around. So use Hover.com slash Stoneheart. That's Hover.com slash Stoneheart, and you will get 10% off your purchase uh, by using Hover.com slash Stoneheart. So if you want to buy a domain name want to get 10% off, uh, hover.com slash Stoneheart, uh, and I would highly recommend it. They, their interface is just way better than the other competitors out there. So check it out at hover.com slash Stoneheart. Thanks to Hover for supporting us uh, on A Cast of Kings this year. We also want to thank all the people that donated uh, $10 to be mentioned on this podcast. A big thanks to Brent Lindquist, Nick Christensen, Bianca Tufford, Ivan Morales, VJ Varman, David the Jacks Weibel, Tucker Weinman, 
Andy Sito, Paul W.S. Bowler, and Darren Harvey. Thank you guys so much for your contributions to our Kickstarter. Um, I also want to thank uh, Jasper Hayward from New Zealand, Ben Funk, Samson Lee, Danny Mann, uh, who is on Twitter at IMDMann with two N's, Mason Williamson, Ashley Kelmore, Teresa Warner, Jonathan, uh, okay, Dirk Koop, Terry Timbrook, um, Amin, F- oh no. Armin Faku. This is this pronunciation guide is useless, Armin. No, no, it's <laughs> Faku away. <laughs> okay. And Friedrich from Norway. I'm actually angry at this pronunciation guide. Oh no, don't be angry, Armin. <laughs> if you want to write in another pronunciation guide, I'll take another crack at it. I'm angry for you, Joanna. Oh no. <laughs> anyway, no, seriously though, Armin, we really appreciate your contribution and the contributions yeah. of everyone. We just listed. So and special and Ivan, who is on a competing quote unquote competing Game of Thrones podcast. That was so generous. Thank you, Ivan. Oh wow. Uh, you know, that actually brings up a point, John Robinson, which is that a lot of people seem to think that uh, the Game of Thrones podcasts are competing or something ridiculous like that. I don't actually feel that way. It is not a zero sum game, people. It's not like we're on the t- same TV show time slot, you know what I mean? No, there's room for all of us. Yeah, there's room for everyone. So why do yeah. people why do people like I see a lot of reviews on our podcast that are like this is way worse than blank podcast which i'm not going to mention because they're a competitor um and and uh i feel like people don't understand hey it's a people can get along and we're all cool with each other and uh there's no necessarily it's it's not a zero-sum game so anyway just want <laughs> to point that out so the battle begins, and lots of awesome stuff happens, John Robinson. I want to point out a few things. Number one, uh, the, there are several long, continuous shots, which I really enjoyed. Uh, I, did or did he not, John Robinson, and when I say he, I mean Neil Marshall, do a really great job at establishing people's relationship to each other in that space? Yeah, I mean, and he—you can read some of the interviews he's given online um, about their the great setup that they had. But they had like a set, Castle Black, right? And so you've got that great shot that sort of pans three sixty around the courtyard, which was which is was incredible, really good. like mind blowing how good that shot was. It was pretty great. Uh, and then, but yeah, and then as the bat- before the battle starts, you get maybe a, a, a warring eyes view of yeah. like. The Wildlies leaving their, you know, right, campfire going up, going south, going up north from south, and then north from the, south, and then the, you get the yeah. castle black, and then up the wall, and then over the wall, and then what's waiting on the other side of the wall. So that really laid everything out pretty clearly. And yeah, going up and down the wall, um, that could have been so confusing. But putting Ollie, you know, not only did he kill Grant and was useful for that, but putting Ollie, who's an identifiable, mostly identifiable character, on the on the winch or whatever of the of the elevator thingy. Well, <laughs> my engineer background coming up. Uh, <laughs> the with helpful the, it's, I think it's called the go up box. Actually. <laughs> the go up box. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's so many badass moments in this episode from, uh, you know, throwing down exploding barrels to these people like standing over the wall with like, uh, ropes, connecting them and like firing arrows down upon people to the scythe right joanna scythe yes that's what i mean <laughs> scythe 
Um, <laughs> yeah, so w- what is your beef beef with the scythe? Other than that, it doesn't appear in the books, apparently. My beef with the scythe is okay. <laughs> so your your interpretation of the scythe is that they like built it into the wall when they first built the wall. I like. Uh, that interpretation is undermined by what I think. What is his name? Um, Ed Thorn. Oh, right. Or who, whoever is controlling the scythe. Right. Ed. Ed. Yeah. By what Ed says when he's like, "Okay, hoist it back up," and it's like, "What?" Uh, that yeah. part I didn't get. <laughs> that seemed like a one-off thing. Yeah, let's say it's like did. a one-time usage. Yeah, but weapon. let's say like a file in a prison cake. Let's say they baked that into the wall <laughs> when they made it. Right. <laughs> yep. Um, this is their moment that they've been waiting for. Yeah. So that means that Ed, who is like a six-string Night's Watchman, no offense to Ed, (laughs) then knows exactly where on the wall those climbers need to be in order to be in the exact swinging path of the scythe. And he can figure out their, like, you know, I mean, the calculus or, or whatever, the calculations involved in this bothered me and once again this is me being dave chen about it like because i usually don't get tied up in this but like it doesn't make sense to me the scythe makes no sense to me okay so firstly when they're talking about the scythe we can imagine that they all knew what the scythe was right so obviously john robinson there was some kind of training involved for the scythe right Sure. There was some kind of there was a lecture. There was a new employee orientation about the side. <laughs> they watched a video. They watched the video, video, and they're like, "Okay, here's how the side works. It's buried at exactly this point, mm-hmm. and uh, you swing it around, and da 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 da." Now, one question is uh, that someone brought up was why would people focus all their attacks on this incredibly narrow portion of the wall mm-hmm. and not like branch out? Mm-hmm. You know, fan out left and right. Mm-hmm. That's another problem, but but I don't. That think... is a problem. And my <laughs> my my favorite. I forget if it was Twitter or an email where someone was like, "What is the plan?" So the plan is to climb the wall and then f- fight a bunch of people who didn't just climb that wall. Like that's <laughs> the plan. Okay, well, you tell. Like, is that what it is in the books? Are people no, climbing the wall in the books? No, no, no. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm, now, now I don't feel as good about it. <laughs> I mean, you're right. It is it is a ridiculous plan, but they made it seem like it made sense. And John Robinson, I mean, the scythe is so freaking cool. It swings down. It just takes them all out in one fell swoop. <laughs> they just have that one hand dangling. Um, I liked the archers. I really did legitimately like the archers who were sort of like half lowered over the edge of the wall to fire straight down the wall. Yeah, that is cool. That was a gut-churning shot. I have a fear of heights. That was really upsetting for me to watch, but in a good way. Although, what, what is interesting, someone also did, did bring up, like, why are they having people order them to loose arrows? Like, why aren't they just continuously firing arrows? Right, that it should be a barrage. It should be a barrage. It should be, yeah. like, non-stop arrows until there's no one there anymore. Yeah. So that didn't make much sense either. So yeah. there, there's a few things that didn't make <laughs> sense. Like, if you think about it, it doesn't really make much sense. Just turn your brain off. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what people who watch the show love to do, John Robinson. So. They never pick this thing apart in graphic detail uh what else what else happens during the fight i so basically egret is all legolas in this episode and which i liked yeah i thought it's she's so badass between last episode and this episode killing everyone and like just offing people indiscriminately left and right but joanna robinson her one weakness is love 
Yeah, I don't have um, <laughs> anything but oil running through my veins. <laughs> not working on me. Yeah, I mean, I can also understand why that would be, I don't know if offensive is the right word, but disappointing that this badass woman is still defeated by her, let's say, loyalty? Oh, no, no. I mean, she's human. I don't take like a sort of feminist umbrage about it at all. Um because you could definitely I do. see it. You I could, do. <laughs> well, I, I'll, I, you know, if you want feminist umbrage, I'll give you some. Which is that in the book, um, a bunch of whores make it out of Molestown and they come up and help defend the castle, which I really liked. So you had a bunch of whores fighting, which was kind of cool. So, but in the in the show, they're all killed. They all died. Yeah. But I like that. There's like these characters, and they're there. You know, there's multiple. You know, they condense the battle basically. I think into one big battle, but there are multiple battles over multiple days. And so, you know, the Night's Watch developed this camaraderie with this. You know, these horrible refugees, which is kind of interesting. But is Pip a character in the books? Yeah. Okay, and is he also killed by Agret in the books? No. Oh yeah. So I thought that was really effective. The. The fact that they set up that Egret has reached that point, that she's offing dudes left and right, and then that, boom, out of nowhere, this person just kills Pip. Uh, I did think that that was an effective death. And, I mean, the guys underneath, right, taking out the giant. Come on, John Robinson. I will give you, I already, I already conceded that. You can't, you can't cajole me into it because I'm already there. Gren and his little band of men reciting their oath. Oh my as, gosh, so good. As the giant, which I did not like the giants, but as the giant charges towards him, um, that was great. Yeah. That was great. It's high quality stuff, man. That was good. High that was some good stuff. war movie stuff. I liked it. Yeah, definitely. Um, Oh, uh, there's a couple of other, like, amazing moments, like uh, when the barrel explodes at the top of the wall. That was, yeah, like, well, shocking. Or when the giant... The giant fires giant the arrow. arrow. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, that and, and that's the thing, is, like, that's, that was something that was mildly disappointing, is we only saw the effect of that one time, basically. And if you have a giant that can fire arrows, it's, like, game over, basically. Like, if you see that happen, it's, like, game over. And the giant can just methodically take out everyone on that wall, I figure. But he had another task because it looked like there were only two giants, right? Right, right? and one mammoth, two right. mammoths. The, the giants are the pandas of the uh, <laughs> of the north. They don't reproduce very much, so there's very few of them. <laughs> no, uh, they're dying. I mean, seriously, in the books, they are a dying race. It is like a poignant thing, but oh, like, no, and I so did. it matters when one of them is taken down, and the other one like does his sad little roar. I see. Like it does matter because they are rare. You just I, made, you just made me sad, Joan. <laughs> I'm sorry because <laughs> I didn't know that before. So yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, anything else about this episode? I, I feel like Ghost being unleashed was supposed to be this big moment, but we only saw him kill one dude. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it was. And why did we wait? Why did we wait to unleash Ghost? Yeah, it's- and why? Yeah, was it? I mean, was it supposed to be a bigger moment? I'm not sure. Um, and also, um, I I wanted to say something. So the the panner on the courtyard shot was technically. Amazing. Yes. Except if you watched, so you have to like, so they hit these beats. So they go around. So you start with John and then you go around the courtyard. You see Gret doing her Legolas shit. You go around. Basically, you're kind of following Tormund. And then at one point, he like comes out and just sort of stands there and waves his hands around and yells and then goes back and running again. And I mean, once again, this is me being like terribly negative, but I'm like, okay, so they needed that. For the timing, they're like, oh, we need 
five more seconds of Tormund doing something. Okay, just come out and yell for a little bit and then go back in and then run around. And when they get back around to that same set of staircase that John started down, you see Sam coming down. And I'm like, did it take that entire time for Sam to get down five steps? Okay, so that's that's my really Couple interpretable things. <laughs> Couple things. First of all, I like how you're using extremely negative and Dave Chen-like interchangeably. <laughs> so nicely, ju- nice done, nicely done. No. Uh, and secondly, Jonah Robinson, sometimes in the heat of battle, people can say and do things that are illogical. And they can sometimes get all alpha male-like, you know, not that I would know. And they might scream and take extra time where they wouldn't otherwise. I mean, do I need to remind you what happened in last week's episode? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Although, actually, a lot of people, what was it? Um, I, someone said that uh, I was um, that it wasn't that Oberyn was being a sore winner that uh, he really wanted to exact vengeance for his sister uh, and I, I should point out I was joking when I said that it was about being a sore winner I, I understand he had other motivations other than wanting to rub it in the mountain's face uh, and uh, yeah so just wanted to <laughs> wanted to make that correction as well any other thoughts on the battle before we get to the end here? Um, let's see. I really did like that interaction between the Magnar and John. Um, and the Magnar just by himself with, with his double-headed axe. That was some great action, too, that I really liked. Um, the Magnar is the Fen? Well, Dude. Fen is like the group of people. Right. They're Thens. So Magnar is a title. Steer is his name. So he's the Steer Magnar of Fen. I see. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, but like the the main cannibal, let's say they got a hammer in his head. Um, he I actually that- thought there was gonna. I actually thought Egret was going to kill the Magnar. To be honest with you, yeah, yeah. After he made that ginger minge comment, uh, right? Which, by the way, for those who don't know, minge is actually vagina. Uh, so, just wanted to point that out. Okay, you don't think people got that from the context? <laughs> well, my <laughs> my companion uh, <laughs> who I watched Game of Thrones with did not understand. Uh, what Minge was because okay. they hadn't they hadn't heard of it before. So uh, and I just I just didn't want to assume Minge knowledge. That's all. <laughs> so, um. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't know that it was. Uh, I, I thought like they had that confrontation. Not even the ginger Minge, but the fact that she says that anyone who deprives her of the the pleasure of killing John is right. she'll kill him. Um, so. I think that's, yeah, that, those are all the action beats that I wanted to cover. Do we want to talk about the death scene, or do you feel like we've already covered that, the Egret death scene? Uh, I mean, the only thing I guess I'm kind of weirded out by is they never, I don't think they ever seeded the fact that that boy was an amazing archer. They did, they did. Oh, they did? So, like, so you, um, you called it from the village scene with Correct. him, with Ollie, but then like we saw him again in the courtyard. Yes, that's right. And he's like, he basically does like a Luke Skywalker, like I used to blast womp rats from right. like, he's like, I was the best archer in me village. Oh, that's right. Like, that's right. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh God, he's definitely killing Egret. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, and, and I did think like that thematically, well, actually, I don't want to say it thematically fits in because someone actually wrote in and pointed out that. That is probably the first character on the show that has ever gotten revenge, uh, or like in the way they wanted it for their family getting killed. Right? Am I right about that? 
I mean, that's what someone wrote. Uh, whether that person's right. Um... <laughs> I mean, can you think so of... So Oberon got screwed out of his revenge. Right. Arya got screwed out of her revenge so far. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess Arya has killed a couple of dudes. Yeah, so but she, she killed, hasn't like killed the kill. Yeah, she hasn't killed the real ones that she wanted. Right. right? Yeah. Um, on that note, by the way, a lot of people have like have responded about Oberyn's death and like w- what is going on with uh, the mountain. Like, if he, what if both people die in trial by combat? Right? Is it just who dies first? Right. Does Ty go to the runner? Yeah. Like that. It just never is made clear. I guess we might have brought that up already. Uh, but that is curious. And, and that's actually, uh, you know, bringing that up, that was one of the biggest disappointments of this episode is because you, I did get this really terrible feeling in my stomach about 30 minutes in that we're not going to go to King's Landing this episode. I mean, I didn't, I didn't assume that we're just going to be stuck at the wall the whole time. But, I mean, God, after the way last episode ended, you know? Yeah, and I felt like when I saw that Neil Marshall was directing episode nine and that it was going to be a battle at the wall, like I was pretty sure that they were trying to do another Blackwater and we were just going to be at the wall the whole time. Um, I would have been really surprised if they had gone elsewhere. Um, and, I, and I think that also ties into me, like my reaction to this episode. Because since I've, since I've been reasonably positive that this is what we were going to expect from this episode, then I was like, okay, really? A whole episode at the wall? All right, they better make it like really worth it to spend the whole episode at the wall, which is nobody's favorite place to be. So um, I'll admit that I went into it with a bad attitude. <laughs> and you came out with that same attitude. <laughs> the worst one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really, I really like this episode a lot. I mean, I don't know that it was one of my favorites ever of all time, but it was uh, really, really good uh, from my perspective. Except for the very last scene, <laughs> John Robinson in which uh, in which John essentially says his plan is to go and convince Mance Raider to stop fighting, and he gives up his sword, and he doesn't have a horse for some reason. Yeah. He's just heading out there by himself. Yeah. That is dumb, John Robinson. He doesn't even take his direwolf. Like- that is stupid. Like, why would you do this? Did this happen in the books, Joanna? Not under this context, no. Okay. So uh, you agree that the way the show executes it is pretty dumb yeah the way the show set it up does not make a lot of sense Jon snow does not seem like the brightest thing here and it's not the ending that i wanted from this episode i mean it's like they could have done stuff to make it less dumb right which is what is surprising could he could have brought the dire wolf could have had a horse uh so and also the dude just had his first taste of leadership right Right. and like why wouldn't you want to capitalize on that in some way but he's just like nope i'm out of here we're just we're just doing this thing. So. Well, I think he feels uh, from the context of the show, John feels like this is the leadership thing to do. Right, because like, because there's no other option. Like they suffered enormous losses, right, uh, in that battle, and, and so, it was just the first probe. Right, basically. so they can't they can't absorb too many right. of those. So, right. Any other thoughts before we wrap up for today? I am looking forward to next week. <laughs> All right. All right. And I am, I am, uh, nope, that's all I'm going to say. Okay. Okay. I mean, I did say, uh, I will say this, this is mild, I I don't even think, I don't think this is a spoilery, but like, Jonah Robinson did say to me, next week is the week you're going to want to have the video reactions, David. Yeah. Uh, Because I was thinking of filming myself 
This a lot of people. There, dem- the crowd was demanding it. John Robinson. There was I mean, a they, mild clamor. They were sure. beating a path to my door. <laughs> they wanted a reaction video, uh, and you said next week, David, is when you'll want the reaction videos. So, uh, I will try to to make that happen. Uh, but uh, yeah, so next week promises to be. An explosive finale. At the very least, we're going to find out what happens to Tyrion, which I'm very curious about. So. I I feel like it should be three hours, and I'm interested to see what they do. <laughs> okay. Very cool. Um, all right, guys. Well, I think that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of A Cast of Kings. One episode of the podcast remains, and then we have a bonus episode afterwards uh, for our Kickstarter background to go over your emails. So... Uh, yeah, it has been an exciting season, John Robinson, and uh, we should cherish it while we can. So, Thank you guys for tuning into this week's episode of A Cast of Kings. Uh, John Robinson, you want to let people know where they can find more of your work on the internet this week? Well, first of all, I want to remind everyone again about the slogan, the t-shirt contest. Um, so go to facebook.com slash acastofkings. Email us at acastofkings at gmail.com with the word slogan in the title. Tweet at us at a cast of kings. Find me on Twitter at Joe Rothis, or you can read my work every day on vanityfair.com. Find me at davechen.net. Uh, I do another podcast called the Slash Filmcast at slashfilmcast.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen S K Y. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>